She was my last visit on Thursday. Last visit that uh, I made brought communion to her and to her husband. She said, uh, Pastor, I have a poem about Easter. Can I read it to you? She didn't ask me to read it on Easter Sunday, but I was so touched by it that I want to share it with you. It's called Dark to Dawn. And Joanne Johnson wrote, The trees move gently from a light, soft wind. God's creatures scamper. Bird songs begin. The darkness slips into a pale gray hue. The sun is hiding. Day is new. It's a Sabbath morning and it's very clear. God chose this time to feel him near. That quiet time that often slips away. The waking time, very early day. Now, right now, as daylight comes, I am lifted with the rising sun. A brand new day, as colors dance, my world will have another chance. But in that time, from dark to dawn, I saw God's love, and I felt his calm. A brand new day as colors dance, my world will have another chance. And so will mine, Joanne, thank you very much, and so will yours. Because of that morning, as the colors dance, our world will have another chance. Four of them early in the morning, four of them going to the tomb. It's very dark when they go. I'm not talking about the darkness of 4 a.m. in the morning. Very dark when they go. Mary, his mother, she's one of them. She's going to go and she's going to clean the blood off of her dead son's face as best she can. She's going to wash his hair and fix his hair so it's like she remembered it was. She will try valiantly but not get very far trying to get the blood off of his body from the whips that were used. She will do her best to make him look like the son she always knew. Mary, the wife of Clopas, says to her, you're not going alone, I'm going with you. Salome says, I'm going with you. And Mary Magdala said to Mary, I would suppose, I love him almost as much as you. He cast seven demons out of me, and my world had another chance. I'm going to go with you. Four women in the darkness, walking to the tomb. But that's not the only darkness. There's a greater darkness. The circumstance which brings them. The death of Mary's son the manner of his death, the murder of her son. Anyone who ever saw Mary say, your son's quite something. All he does is go about doing good. You and Joseph must have done a good job raising him because all he does is go about doing good. 
Never seen such compassion as this one has. And now she's going, in essence, to his wake. She's walking through that darkness of grief and disbelief. This has to be a bad dream. This cannot have happened. It was many years ago, 41 years ago to be exact, in the days when we didn't have cell phones, in the days we couldn't contact anybody at any time, any place, my mom and dad were in Arkansas. Jonathan had just been born. And my mom and dad were driving over from Arkansas to see their grandbaby. I received a phone call early in the morning. No caller ID in those days. The phone rings and I pick it up and it's a voice that had never called me before. It's my grandma, Grandma Strand, up in Chicago. And she says, Paul, has your mom and dad arrived yet? And I said, no, Grandma. And she said, they told me they were going to head your direction to see the grandbaby. But they haven't arrived yet, right? I said, no, Grandma, they're not here. She said, would you have your dad call me as soon as he gets there? And I said, sure, is everything all right? And she said, your grandpa just died. Would you tell your dad when he comes that his dad has died? It was two hours later and the doorbell rings. And mom and dad come rushing in. They don't even see me or Connie. They're heading for the grandbaby. You know how that one goes. And they're just kissing that grandbaby all over the place. And they say, oh, hi, you guys. And they go back at the grandbaby. And how do you deliver that news in the midst of so much joy and excitement? How do you deliver that news? There was a lull just for a moment, and I said, Dad, I need to share something with you. Grandma called. And as soon as I said Grandma called, his whole nature changed. And I said, Your father died. And he turned white as a ghost. And he staggered back, and I'm glad there was a chair behind him because he just kind of collapsed. They stayed for a half an hour, and then they headed up to Chicago. Grandma called every day for the next three days. She said, your dad still isn't here. Your dad still isn't here. And I said, you have him call as soon as he gets there. And on the third day, he calls. And I said, Dad, what took you so long? Should have only taken you a day. What took you so long? Did the car break down? Did you get sick? And he said this to me. He said, Paul, no one rushes to a wake. No one rushes to a funeral. Never forgot his words. Pastor Schauer read that the disciples ran to the empty tomb. Well, the women didn't know he was risen from the dead. They walked as slow as they could. When you have family gatherings, aren't you excited? This afternoon, when the family gathers together, some who you haven't seen in three or four years, 
Isn't there an excitement? When you have your annual family reunion up there in Michigan on the lake in July, aren't you excited to go? COVID is done. You haven't seen certain people at Easter for a couple of years, and they're here now. Aren't you excited? You get together for weddings and for baptisms, and there is a palpable excitement in the air. But tell me this. When you go to a wake or a funeral, you know that there are going to be a hundred people there. Some who you haven't seen in 20 years, and you know they're going to be there. But how come there's no excitement? How come when it's a wake or a funeral you're going to, it's like walking through mud trying to get to that place? It's because of the circumstance. The four women really don't want to be there, and, and Mary turns to Mary Magdalene, and she says, What are we doing? We saw the huge stone that was rolled in front of the grave. The four of us combined cannot move that stone. What are we doing? In essence, let's go back home. But God thought otherwise. God's Spirit kept them moving. And He did it for a precise purpose. He wanted them to be the first Witnesses of the resurrection. Why not his mother? Her grief was greater than all. Why not let her be the first to see the Lord? And Mary, the wife of Colopus and Salome and Mary Magdala, why should they not be the first? They were at the foot of the cross when he died. Why should they not be the first? There's another darkness involved. It's the darkness called evil. When you wake up on an Easter Sunday and you turn on the news and it's uh, Russia and Ukraine, there's an evil that has filtered into Easter. When you look at the news and there's another shooting, there's another fire, there's another this, that, or the other, you sit and say, why did I turn on the TV on Easter Sunday? I should have known better. There is a darkness that evil brings. And for these ladies, it was the darkness of Satan's presence. You could smell him, you could taste him, you could feel him everywhere on Good Friday. You could see his fingerprints everywhere. The darkness of Judas, his own disciple, uh, selling him for 30 pieces of silver. Satan smiles, rubs his hands together. My revenge against God for kicking me out of heaven is going well. Simon Peter, his right-hand man, the one who was going to be in charge when Jesus left. The one of whom Jesus said six months earlier, Upon you, Simon Peter, I shall build my church, the faith you have in me. And when Simon Peter has a 14-year-old girl standing in front of him, and a half hour later, two Roman soldiers, you are one of his disciples, we saw you with him all the time, and he curses and he swears, 
I don't know what you're talking about. never saw the guy before. There is an evil presence. The darkness of the disciples as they run away in fear. The darkness of Pilate's cowardice. Five different times God gives him an opportunity to slip away from this evil, but he does not step away from it. He engages it and brings it even furthermore. The false witnesses with their lies and innuendos. He does something good and evil twisted into something bad. Evil always does. They look at what is good and they twist it into bad. It's not just the darkness of the morning. It's not just the darkness. My son is dead. It's the darkness of evil. And that is the hardest darkness to walk through. Why? Because evil has Satan's fingers all over it. He is the source. And then what they did to him, the crown of thorns, the diabolic brutality, the whips, the beating of his head with clubs, Old Testament says he was disfigured. Nails going into wrists and ankles, unspeakable suffering. And then the words you never thought Jesus could ever speak. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God is not Father any longer. My God, why have you forsaken me? He's not God, Jesus' Father anymore. He's the God of judgment. Because our sins rest upon the Lamb of God. And when Jesus shouts those words, Satan goes throughout hell giving high fives to all his angels. That was the moment he waited for. For Jesus, in essence, to curse God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I said to you on Good Friday, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8, it tells you what hell is. Listen carefully. Jesus shall come down from heaven in blazing fire with all his angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of Christ. They will be punished with everlasting separation from the presence of God and from the glory of his strength. Everlasting separation from the presence of God. Jesus was in hell when he said, My God, my God... Why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 59, 2, Thy sin has separated thee from God. Jesus was in hell. And Satan knew it. There's a little whisper from the Holy Spirit to Jesus. And the whisper was, Your separation is not eternal. The moment you spoke those words, God's forgiveness of mankind's sin was done. How do we know? Because of his next word. It is finished. The work of salvation appointed to me from the beginning of time, uh, Revelation 13, 8. The work is finished. From the moment God said to Satan... Because you have done this, there is now enmity between thee and the woman, thy seed and his seed. 
He shall cross your head. Jesus shall cross your head. You'll strike at his heel. It is finished. The work appointed to me was not to be a carpenter's son. It was not to be a shepherd. It was not to be a camel driver. The work appointed to me was that cross or that cross, whichever one you prefer. And when the Spirit comes and says to him, He's accepted your death. Then he says, it's finished. And then, as we said on Good Friday, lays his head back like on a pillow. And he says, Father, it's back to that word, Father. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It's all right now with Jesus and his Father. And it's all right now between us and our Father. Did Satan rule Calvary? He thought he did. Until the ember of light comes and Satan blinks a little bit. Uh, the ember of light there with the uh, women standing underneath the cross risking their lives to be there, ember of light. When out of his mouth comes not four-letter words, but when out of his mouth comes, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. An ember of light. Jesus causes Satan to blink again. And then looking at his mother and, and tears coming down because his mother's having to watch him die. And he said, John, take care of my mother. And Satan blinks again. Such words coming out of his mouth when he's dying at my hands. And then the great, uh, the great light, when the thief on the cross turns to him and says, uh, thank you for forgiving me. It gives me pause. I believe in you. Remember me when you come into kingdom and and Satan is slapping his head. What's going on here? In the little uh, blaze of light when the Roman centurion, uh, in charge of the four soldiers executing him, Roman centurion says, truly this was a righteous man. And Satan is sitting there saying, what's going on here? And you have Nicodemus too scared to come to Jesus by day, come to him in the middle of the night. A member of Sanhedrin says to him, tell me more about the kingdom. And Satan is saying, what's going on here? Nicodemus is coming and saying, I'm coming out of the closet. I want the body of Jesus. I'm one of his. Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man owning all those businesses in Jerusalem, afraid to come out and say he's a Christian because it might cost him a lot of money in his business but he comes with Nicodemus and says, Give me the body of Jesus. I want to bury him in my tomb. Was Satan in charge at Mount Calvary? Dear Dick, that statement he put on my door a couple of weeks ago, Evil will have its hour. God will have his day. Whatever is going on in your life, you remember that one comment. Evil will have its hour. 
But God will have his day. Is there anyone here who doesn't have evil going on in their life sometime or other in the last month? Anyone here? Raise those hands. It's always there. Relationships, finances, arguments with people at work, health issues. It's always there. Evil will have its hour, but God will have his day. You know the first Easter sermon this weekend, you know where I preached it? I know Pastor Harlow over there at Parkview, he preached in his Easter sermon from Stateville Prison in Joliet. You've got to check that out later. You know where my first Easter sermon was? L.A. Fitness, 10.15 yesterday morning. I got my three-mile run in, thank you very much, a lot slower than it used to be. And uh, as I was getting ready to leave, I saw one of the big guys, <laughs> one of the 24-inch bicep guys. He was where he normally wasn't. He was in a corner over there by the workout room, and he was crying. And I thought twice before I went up to him, because I don't really know him that well, and I said, are you all right? And he said, my wife was diagnosed with cancer yesterday. We have two little ones. She's 38. And they say she's not going to survive this cancer. After a couple of minutes, I said, are you a believer? He said, I indeed am. My wife and I and my children will be in church on Easter Sunday tomorrow. I am. We talked for about a half an hour. And once you share that you've lost someone, like your son, then all of a sudden he realizes there's a comrade spirit here. Talked for a half an hour, he preached an Easter sermon to me. And I preached one back to him. And you know what I said? I said, evil will have its hour, but God will have his day. Pastor Shower mentioned it last time he preached. I loved it. He didn't just stop his sermon with, here's what God has done for you. He went one step further. He said, here's what we do for God. You preach an Easter sermon at LA Fitness, and the big guy with the biceps, he preached a sermon to me. He delivered the light to me. I delivered the light to him. Is that all it was? Did Jesus say to the four women, Get the champagne out. I'm risen from the dead. Is that where it stopped? Not hardly. He told them what? He said, go back and tell everybody that I'm risen from the dead. If you look at Easter Sunday, look at it carefully. Jesus is up in Galilee, 70 miles away, 
showing himself to 500 people. Uh, then he's on the road to Emmaus, showing himself to those two disciples. Then he's in Jerusalem in the upper room that evening, showing himself to those disciples. Jesus just didn't say, man, I'm risen from the dead. My task is done. I'm going to go back up to heaven. He was all over the place on the first Easter, and he was for the next 40 days. And when he says to his disciples, be sure and be in Jerusalem, Acts 1.8, be sure and be in Jerusalem, because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and then you are going to be my witnesses. Sorry, there are celebrations that just end with a celebration. We go home and wake up the next morning. But when we celebrate Easter, it doesn't end here. It doesn't end with a beautiful choir singing. It ends with us bringing that light to others. Ten years ago, I would have had the courage to go up to the bicep man and ask him, why are you crying? I don't know. Now I'm old enough. Now God is that much stronger in me that it's just automatic when I see someone hurting to bring the light. That's what you do, right? You and I take this light that we're reminded of, the light of the empty tomb, and we bring it out there with us, serving God's kingdom as best we can. And the one word that you've been waiting for on Easter Sunday, that word is amen. Amen. Get back to your cooking. How many are you going to have at your house today? I hope it's a blessed Easter. With your faith in God, thanks for sharing Easter with Pastor Shar and myself this morning and Jason and the choir. You go back and celebrate the day. And even on this day, if Uncle Joe was there, the one you, you know, kind of let his light shine. Let his light shine. Would you write, Joanne, a brand new day as colors dance. My world will have another chance. But in that time from dark to dawn, I saw God's love and I felt his calm. Your world and Paul Strand's world, we have another chance. Every single day we wake up, this is a day God has made. Another chance because the tomb is empty. In his name, amen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, 
whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.